This particular session of our podcast deals with sexual matters. So if you're listening to this session in your car with a car full of kids, you may want to skip until you get home. Well, here's a topic that's not free from controversy. So I thought, of course, you know, that's a great podcast topic. Because listen, we're all about medical education. And you'll be surprised I get frequently private inbox messages on our Facebook page asking questions similar to this. And some are from males and some are from females. So the question is very simple. Listen, is a lack of sexual activity, and I'm not talking about like a vow of chastity or something else like that. I'm saying a lack of sexual intimacy, a lack of sex when you're actually still looking for sex and that sexual frustration, is that actually harmful to your emotional or your physical health? And the answer may surprise you. So in this podcast, we're going to cover vitamin S. That's right sex and how sexual frustration can actually lead to some adverse health issues. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. There are many essential things that humans need to survive. Food, water, housing, and sleep. But humans also have a physiological need for sex and sexual intimacy. Physiological needs are the main requirements for human survival. These are basic and universal human needs and demands. Humans feel compelled to fulfill these needs in order to feel satisfied in their life. That means that humans are constantly looking for sources of food, water, housing, sleep, and whether we want to admit it or not, sexual fulfillment. A person living without sex can end up with serious health issues in their life. So in this podcast, we're going to examine the exact relationship between sexual frustration and what kind of detriments it can cause to a person's well-being. Well, let's start right off the bat with what kind of definition are we using here? So this is the definition of most psychologists as well as sexual health experts. Sexual frustration is a sense of dissatisfaction in a person's sex life that stems from a discrepancy between how much sex a person desires and their actual sexual activity or a discrepancy between their quality of sex that they perceive that they want and what they're actually getting. Now, there are a number of things that could cause a person to be sexually frustrated. Remember, this is both for males and females. And some of these factors include physical factors like chronic disease, mental issues like depression. We'll talk about that in a minute. Social or even religious factors. Sexual frustration happens when a person is not currently satisfied with their sex life. Many people are currently sexually frustrated and dissatisfied with their love life. However, it's more of a closeted problem, something that many people don't wish to open up or talk about. There have been studies that show a correlation between sexual frustration and the subsequent development of depression. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute. Depression in and of itself can lead to problems with sexual satisfaction. And that's true. But we're talking about here depression happening after the fact. And we'll address the latter in just a minute. People who are sexually frustrated tend to have higher levels of depression, and this is due to many things, a lack of sex, which is a fundamental human need, a lack of intimacy within a relationship, medical issues like premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction, and of course, these things are often not addressed between the patient and their healthcare provider. These issues can cause a sex life to plummet and cause a person to feel depressed. Of course, studies have also shown that the opposite is also true. Depression can cause low interest in sex and sexual frustration. People who have clinical depression have difficulty finding pleasure in everyday activities, including sex. The things that they used to enjoy no longer, of course, make them happy. 
Also, people who have clinical depression typically prescribe antidepressants, and these medications can include a variety of side effects, including decreased libido or other sexual dysfunction. Now, I want to be very clear here because I'm talking about sexual intimacy, which implies, of course, partner-associated activities. But the issue really is not just that, although that's very important because we have that emotional and physical connectiveness with another person. But the issue is also that of orgasmic or sexual health. Remember that physical intimacy and physical sexual release also has a lot of advantages and a lot of benefits for overall health, including decreased risk of anxiety and depression. Yeah, don't be sending me some links or some emails or some direct messages that you don't agree with that because the truth is there's a variety of published data that do in fact show that increased sexual activity results in decreased depression scores and decreased anxiety. Of course, when you have physical intimacy and sexual release in the form of orgasm, then the brain gets a rush of endorphins, including other chemicals like oxytocin and dopamine, which can, of course, decrease or mitigate the effects of depression or anxiety. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, podcast family, I need to give you this disclosure. You know I'm not advocating that you go on the prowl or on the hunt for a suitable mate for three to four sexual encounters, casual intercourse per week. Because, of course, we're talking about staying emotionally fit, emotionally safe, physically safe, and, of course, safe from STI. So just put it into context. I'm talking about in an otherwise healthy pair relationship, uh, same sex or otherwise, uh, what this actually looks like. Now, here's the big clinical pearl. It's not just about having more sexual intercourse. It actually is much more about the quality of intercourse that can reduce depression, reduce anxiety, and increase bonding. So when I come back, I'm going to talk to you about a study published out of Carnegie Mellon that proved that quality really is much better than quantity. There's a lot of data and self-help books that claim that having more sex will lead to increased happiness based on the common finding that those having more sex tend to be happier. However, there are many reasons why one might observe this positive relationship between sex and happiness. Being happy in the first place, for example, might lead someone to have more sex, and that's called reverse causality. Or being healthy might result in being both happier and having more sex. But in the first study to examine the casual connection between sexual frequency and happiness, Carnegie Mellon University researchers experimentally assigned some couples to have more sex than others and observed both groups' happiness over a three-month period. This paper was published in the Journal of Economic Behavior and Organization, and they report that simply having more sex did not make couples happier, in part because the increased frequency led to a decline in wanting for or in the enjoyment of sex itself. 
128 healthy individuals between the ages of 35 and 65 who are in married. And again, here's a big clinical pearl. This was only in heterosexual couples, so male-female, were participants in this research. The researchers randomly assigned the couples to one of two groups. The first group received no instructions on sexual frequency, and the second group was asked to double whatever their weekly sexual intercourse frequency was. Each member of the participating couples completed three different types of surveys. At the beginning of the study, they answered questions to establish baselines. Daily, during the experimental period, the participants answered questions online to measure health behaviors, happiness levels, and the occurrence, type, and enjoyableness of sex. The exit survey analyzed whether baseline levels changed over the three-month period. The couples instructed to increase sexual frequency did have more sex. However, it did not lead to increase, but instead it led to a small decrease in happiness. So looking further, the researchers found that couples instructed to have more sex reported lower sexual desire and a decrease in sexual enjoyment. It wasn't that actually having more sex led to decreased wanting and liking for sex. Instead, it seemed to be just the fact that they were asked to do it rather than initiating it on their own. Wasn't that interesting? Well, so here's a clinical pearl. So it seems that when sex is viewed only as a duty, like they had to have sex based on the study protocol, versus a mutually agreed upon, enjoyable, arousable sexual activity, well, then satisfaction actually drops. So the Carnegie Mellon researchers were surprisingly, well, surprised. See, they equated sexual frequency with erotic quality. The trouble began immediately from there. Only a few of the couples asked to double their frequency actually did so. On average, the more sex group bumped it up only about 40%. It turns out that people have clear ideas about how much sex they actually like to have, and participants somewhat rebelled against researchers' instruction to double their frequency. So this Carnegie Mellon study suggests that erotic quality is more important than just erotic quantity. No matter how often you have sex, there's some things that you should keep in mind for a healthy overall sex life. One, there is some data that says you really should just schedule it, but do it when you agree both as a couple. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that intimacy, especially in a busy couple, shouldn't be at some points kind of scheduled into the calendar. That's okay. It just shouldn't be viewed as a duty, but should be viewed more as a bonding opportunity. The myth that sex just happens when lovers are in the mood is just that. It's kind of a myth. The problem is that after the hot and heavy period, one partner is usually in the mood a good deal more than the other, and then that's where conflicts arise. To reach mutual accommodation, sex therapists urge couples to negotiate a mutually accepted monthly frequency and then pull out their calendars and schedule sexual lovemaking dates if that's the part in their relationship where they're at. Remember, this tends to happen after a long, monogamous relationship. We're not talking about the hot and heavy periods for a brand new couple. I know scheduling may at first feel artificial and detached, but it goes a long way towards eliminating conflicts over frequency and expectations.
Now, as I get to the end of the podcast, I have to make this important clarification. Look, if someone has chosen to be celibate or considers themselves asexual, that's perfectly okay if that's what they have chosen to do. We know, of course, there's no evidence that celibacy or asexuality is actually physically or psychologically unhealthy. And again, I don't want to give that impression that by choosing those two modes of living or lifestyles that something's going to be wrong with you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the basic core of connectiveness, both from a psychological and a physiological standpoint, uh, is to have sexual expression. But if someone chooses celibacy or the asexual lifestyle, again, perfectly fine as long as they are at peace with that decision. All right, as we come to the end of this weird podcast, just a couple of things. There's multiple data that show that part of the human basic desires is actually sexual intimacy and sexual fulfillment. And we've got to be okay with that. That's why things like sexual disorders and sexual frustrations have just not traditionally been talked about. And that's why we're in this position. But thankfully, that tide is turning and it's okay to say you're not okay. Remember, it's not just about sexual intimacy, which implies, obviously, partner-associated activities, but also emotional closeness. And the act of orgasm by itself, with a partner or without, has multiple health benefits. Of course, it's all about staying emotionally strong, emotionally safe, and of course, physically safe at the same time. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.